this book of Daniel, this study, uh, this whole time uh, period, these walks uh, that I've been going on. I've been trying to, um, I put on, I put on the uh, COVID-19, and so I need to take that off. So I've been going on more walks. I've been watching what I've uh, been eating. Uh, and, and so I've, as I go on these walks, though, I like to listen uh, to books. I like to listen uh, to Scripture and to podcasts that are, um, you know, just, just cultivating, right, this hunger for God. Um, and I, I believe that, that Ariana hit it right on the the nail on the head when she said, like, it's God's desire to use us, right? Like, we have a role to play. We're the church. We're not just receivers, right? We're actually doers, right? So we receive from the Holy Spirit. We receive God. We receive the reality of Christ. And then we, we do stuff in his name, all right? And, and so it's pretty awesome as you look through the, the narrative of the Bible that, that God uses people over and over again. And what we can get is we can make, let's say, a VBS out of Daniel, and Daniel becomes a hero or a superhuman. And what we need to realize is this, that God uses people. Daniel was a person, right? Now, Daniel so happened to be a smart person, right? Uh, but Daniel uh, is just a human, right, who was willing to be used by God. So as we continue uh, today, uh, I just want to say these few things before we um, get started. I have been challenged by God in the last few months. I have been awakened by God. I've been checked by God. And I've been provided for by God. And I'm challenged to walk in humility uh, like never before, uh, to really know his character. Who is God? What is God like? I've been awakened to the vastness of his love for all people. Right? We were talking about the other day with a friend and talking about this imago Dei, the image of God, that we are image bearers of God. And as when we look around and we, we see people for what they've done instead of what they are or what is in them, there's a difference there, right? I can't, I can't love something that somebody's done, but I still am called to love that person, Right? Because they're image bearers of, of God. And it's, it's so cool. And so I've been checked to realize that I have some thoughts um, that, that go against God. You guys ever been in that situation? Or am I the only one in the room where, where man, like you're thinking this thought and you're like, oh, that was wrong. That was really wrong. Like maybe you're thinking it about somebody, all right, or something, and you're like, wow, I need to really actually examine that. Like, that was not very Christ-like, uh, that thought. And so I, I, I hear by the laughter that maybe some of you can agree uh, with that. And so then provided for in this season, uh, you know, both financially, uh, through family, 
uh, it, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing um, time to see what God's doing, and it continues to do. Uh, and so as we start this portion of worship, uh, I want to pray. And we've been praying this prayer, and it's a, it's a scripture, but we've been using it as a prayer. And, um, and so what I want to do is I want to do it two times this morning. I just want to, let's read it, and hopefully we're, we're starting to like get this, all right? And if you're joining us for the first time, we're going to read out of Psalm 139, um, and we're going to pray this prayer, these two verses, um, and then we're going to read it again. And I'll give you instruction when we're going to read it the second time. But let's go ahead. Uh, Psalm 139, uh, verse 23 and 24. Remember, let's, uh, let's just kind of, we're going to read it at a real low pace. Just follow me. If you miss a word or something like that, it's cool. Like, God gets it, all right? So here we go. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, what we're going to do a little bit differently this time, and this may be weird for some of you, and I'm all right with that, okay? What we're going to do is we're going to pause for about 10 seconds here. And during that pause, here's what I want us to do is just say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Okay, so let's pause. Okay, now let's pray that together, again, keeping that heart attitude of, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? So let's pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Amen. And here's what I want us to get into a practice of doing, is this. When we pray, oftentimes we pray um, one way, right? And this one-way prayer is this, this thing out to God. And what we forget to do is then hear God and listen. And so I want to encourage you, as you begin and you're praying, and, and some of you, uh, you're, you pray for, you can pray for hours straight. And some in the room and online are like, how do you do that? That's crazy. I can barely pray for five minutes. Here's what I would say. Start taking steps and praying. And your prayer life isn't a competition for the, from the next person to the next. right? But it's communication with God. Right? And so I just want to encourage you with that this morning. That even as you read scripture, pause before you read scripture. And say, Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to me? Because what we want to be is people like that song. We want to be people that are, we're planted deeply, right? In Christ and in the, in the truth of who he is. And so I just want to encourage you with that this morning. So over the last chapters of Daniel, as we've been going through uh, the book of Daniel, uh, and now we arrive in chapter 4. But over these last chapters, we've, we've seen Daniel and some friends and, and, and uh, captured from Israel, brought into Babylon. There's this enculturation process that they've gone through. We've seen 
God build or tear down barriers and build bridges. Uh, we've, we've seen God that he hears, uh, that he speaks, that he answers prayers, um, that his wisdom is oftentimes not conventional or what we might automatically think of, that, it, that it's, it's, it might be something that really challenges us. Like, man, I didn't even think of that. Um, or I couldn't have done that on my own. That's a, that's a God thing sometimes where he's like, yeah, you could never do this. And you might be thinking, okay, okay, God, you have to do this, right? And so uh, wisdom flows. Godly wisdom flows from relationship with God. God's kingdom is eternal. It is established in humility. Um, and then we see this right hand, left hand thing, right? Right, wielding this power over people, pushing people, if you will, into the kingdom. We see Jesus with this left hand of love and power and pulling people uh, into the kingdom. And we see this also uh, in the book of Daniel. Uh, and we really see it uh, throughout Scripture that God is, man, he's just calling people to himself. And so we arrive at Daniel 4 uh, today. 37 verses, and what we're going to do, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, I'm going to tell you kind of how it's, it's, a, it's a different setup, all right? Uh, it reads a little bit different. Uh, it starts with uh, one through three is like the beginning of this doxology, all right, and this intro, uh, and then it goes through and, and it talks about another dream, uh, and then it talks about how the dream is explained, and then it talks about... Um, the dream's fulfilled, and then it ends with this doxology as well. And so I'm going to give you like kind of the, the gist of what's going on. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Read it, all right? Daniel chapter 4, go back. Don't take my word for it, right? Go back and read the entire passage for yourself um, and let God speak to you through it. And so it starts off, I do want to read the first three verses, and it says, King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders his kingdom will last forever. His rule um, through all generations. And that's Nebuchadnezzar. That's Nebuchadnezzar saying that. If you, if you recall from the last three chapters, this, this is a shift in attitude, all right, um, from Nebuchadnezzar. Will someone grab me a water? Because I am about, my throat's going dry. <coughs> Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate it. And... Um, and so what we see here, now he goes back and he recalls what happened, all right? And he goes, look, I'm living in my palace, I'm comfortable, I'm living in prosperity, but one night I have this, this vision, this dream, um, and it terrifies me, all right? And what does he do? Well, what does he do like last time? He calls all the fortune tellers, all the magicians, uh, thank you so much, all the diviners, and he says, hey, can you tell me about this? And they say, no, we can't tell you. Now, remember, I just want us to recall, why are all these people still alive, 
right? Because of what God did through Daniel and his friends, right? The, the last dream interpretation ended up in these people not dying because the threat was if you can't tell me the dream and you can't uh, give me the meaning, then all of you are going to die, right? And so they're called again. They can't, they don't know. They're like, we do not know what it means. And then Nebuchadnezzar calls the OG dream interpreter, all right? The Daniel, the guy, all right? And it even says that uh, he is the head or the chief of the, ma- the magicians, all right? And they called him a different name, um, and that was Belteshazzar. It's always the most awkward thing when people are speaking and they take a drink because there's like this break and then you, okay, so it feels awkward for me. All right, so he, he's going to say, look, there's no mystery that's too great for God. We kind of already knew this, but we're going we're gonna to continue. And, and, then, and then Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He sees this large tree that's in the middle of earth and it's providing shade and it's providing fruit and it's very prosperous. And then uh, suddenly, here's what it says. Cut down the tree and lop off its branches. Cut down the tree and lop off its branches, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, right? And uh, it's, this tree is going to be, they're going to be drenched with dew of heaven and, and uh, let him live with the wild animals and above and among the plants of the field. And so this dream is really intense, right? Think big tree, think just prosperity, fruit going out from the tree, and then a messenger says, cut down the tree, lop off its branches, keep the roots though, and let this, this tree experience life like a wild animal. Now, so we have this going on, all right? Uh, and then what we have is, is it continues. Daniel interprets the dream. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the tree. Um, And then what happens is the dream is actually fulfilled. The tree is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar ends up for seven periods of time, which would be seven years, living like an animal. Okay? He loses his mind. Why does he do this? Well, he looks out over his kingdom and he says this. And this is, Daniel warns him, I'm telling you, please, just stop doing evil. Okay, but a year passes. Nebuchadnezzar's looking out over his kingdom and he says, gosh, I have done such a great job. Look at all that I I have accomplished. And it says, while the words are still in his mouth, he loses his mind. And for the next seven periods of time, he lives as a wild animal Eating grass. Eating grass. You guys ever tried grass in here? Okay? Not that kind of grass. I'm talking grass that mow, you mow, okay? Is, have you ever tried that? It's gross. It really is like bitter. I don't know. Somebody might say it's an acquired taste. I guess if you eat kale, you might like it. Um, and, and so, but he's out and, and so what happens? The time passes. His sanity returns Um, And here's what I want to read to you is this last bit here, uh, 34 through 37. It says this, 
After this time had passed, this crazy time that he lived in, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to the heaven. My sanity returned, and I praise and worship the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All the people of earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. And I want to say a footnote here is that he still didn't, as Daniel was interpreting this dream, here's what Nebuchadnezzar says. He goes, I know that you're filled with the spirits of the gods. So when he still didn't have this understanding, there's a most high God that created all things. But then he comes to this understanding, which is amazing, right? Like we see that, man, God can do anything. And so the connection today is this. Daniel, the book of Daniel, hopefully with his friends and and the writing of the book, is, is we can see this importance of wisdom over fear. And I want to say this, godly wisdom over fear. In the situation that they're in, he's faced yet with another dream, and this dream is not going to be good for the king. It's not in the king's favor. But here's what I love. Daniel walks humbly. And he, and he walks where God is leading him. And he delivers this mes- message. And I love the part, and you'll read it when you read it later in, in the complete, is this, that it says that he even paused for a moment before he gave the interpretation because he was deeply troubled. And I believe that he was deeply troubled because he recognized in humility and in God's kindness the imago Dei of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, I wish this wasn't about you. Now, if you're like me, maybe you have this dream interpretation, and I want us to think about this for a second. How many of you would have been like inside, you wouldn't have done it externally because of the situation, but inside you, there's this dream interpretation and it's like, yeah, this isn't going to be good for you. And, how, and, and you guys are like, yes. Like you took us out of our land. You have tried to re-enculturate us. You have tried to change us. And I cannot wait for this tree to be lopped down. All right? Like how many of you might have been like that? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, thank you. We have one person, and you online, we'll just assume everybody online is like that. And so um, we, we think about this. Yeah, get, God, just, just beat him down. He's been a real jerk, all right? But in, in humility, he pauses, and he's troubled. And he says, I wish this wasn't about you. And so here's what I take away from that is, is the character of the person the character of who we are really isn't seen in who we love. When we love our friends and, and the people that, you know, are close to us, 
um, our character is only slightly revealed. Our character is really revealed um, in how we treat our enemies, right? That's when we get down to the depth of who we are. And, and not just an enemy that's somewhere out there, an enemy that is maybe close to you and that has done you wrong. What are your thoughts about them? What are your thoughts and what are your prayers for them? Uh, do we well wish them or do we wish them not so well? Or are we, even worse, are we dismissive of them? And so we see that uh, the king's heart is changed. Again, I would encourage you, read Daniel 1, 2, 3, and then read that last bit, uh, 34 through 37, and see if there's not a change uh, in the king's heart. And, and Daniel and his friends played a direct role in this. Because of their obedience to God, we can see that, that part of what they did helped turn Nebuchadnezzar's face to heaven. All right? And there are a couple obvious connections that we can make. One, connection number one is this. God's hand is on Daniel. And his friends. I mean, that's clear. He continues to use this man. He continues to use his friends to make a difference um, in people's lives. Two, God has a distinct disdain for pride. All right? I just want to point out to you that in, in Daniel, uh, what we see and, and what we see in our own lives today is, is pride has got us uh, where we are now. Pride is, is a horrible thing, right? And the most proud people you meet tell you what? They're the most humble people, all right? They pridefully boast about it, all right? And so pride uh, puts us in the driver's seat. We don't really need, uh, we don't really need God. When, when Nebuchadnezzar looks over his kingdom and says, look what I have done, I am so good. I am so good at what I do. Look at this. And so this is, these are two obvious ones. Uh, um, and then pride dismisses God from the picture completely. Uh, we begin to take credit for things that he's done. Uh, we get in the driver's seat. Uh, we take control. But today I want to just explore briefly, just I believe a deeper connection um, that I want to submit today is this. And, it's, and it, the connection is formed in a question is, how did Daniel and his friends live out a God-centered life? Right? We, we've seen it in Daniel 1 through 3. We've seen it in Daniel 4. How did they do it? How, and then how do we do it today? Because I believe that's a question that transcends time and circumstance. I believe that people want to know what that looks like. How do we, you and I, live a God-centered life? In 2020, how do we do that? How did they do that? And so, how is it that God can be the center of what we do? Wow, okay. Well, it, I want to read this out of a book. If you want to be challenged at all in your life and in your walk with, with Christ, I would encourage you to read a book called The Insanity of God. If, you don't, if you're not a big reader and you have a library card, 
which would kind of be an oxymoron, but um, I would encourage you to get a library card. It's on an app called Hoopla, completely free. You have access to thousands of titles, and they have these things called audiobooks. So you can listen to uh, this book. I would highly recommend it, though. It's super challenging. Um, but but Nick, Nick Ripkin in The Insanity of God says this, before we can grasp the full meaning of resurrection, all right, of, in Daniel's case, life in God, uh, since this story takes place pre-Christ, uh, uh, we have to witness or experience crucifixion. If we spend our lives so afraid of suffering, so averse to sacrifice, that we avoid even the risk of persecution or crucifixion, then we might never discover the true wonder, joy, and power of a resurrection faith. And I want to say that again, and I'm only going to say it again is because when I was out walking the other day, I listened to it about 15 times because it punched me in the face. And I want to say it again. Before we can grasp the full meaning of the resurrection, we first have to witness or experience crucifixion. If we spend our lives so afraid of of suffering, so averse to sacrifice, that we avoid even the risk of persecution or crucifixion, then we might never discover the wonder, joy, and power of of a resurrection faith. Nick Ripken, the insanity of God. So if we were to look at that, what does Jesus say about it? I think it's important that we explore what Jesus says about a subject, right? And so in Luke 9, 23 through 27, Jesus says something like this. Then he said to the crowd, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you, but, you're, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying there? Wow, we have to walk in and experience crucifixion. We have to die to ourselves so that we can live. And and I I love that he put in there, it's not just a one-time deal. It's you die to yourself daily. Dallas Willard speaking on of of pride and, and humility. He says, Lord, when we are wrong, make us willing to change. And when we are right, make us easy to live with. Because, boy, we like being right, don't we? We love it. 
love it. If you've ever been in an argument and you're right, what a good feeling. But God, make us easy to live with. Help us to walk in humility. Help us, if we're going to boast in anything, to boast in you. And this kind of just seals the deal, if you will. How do we walk in a Christ-centered life? Is that we walk in humility. Humility is the antithesis of pride. It says this in Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of the slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want us to think about that for a second. Jesus didn't cling to this. He didn't strive to this. He humbled himself. Now, unfortunately, the answer to the question is easy. And it's in a one-syllable word. How can you and I live lives that are centered in God? It's a three-letter word. Die. Thanks for the encouragement, Andy. That was powerful. Okay, but it's die. And what I'm finding out more and more is it's the only way. That we will live out a life that is reflective of Christ, that is following Christ, that is a disciple of Christ, is to die. Because if we look over and over again at Jesus' example, if we look over and over again at people through biblical history, what they did is they, they died to themselves so that they could be used by God Almighty. Daniel pauses because he sees the Imago Dei in King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's distressed by this interpretation, but he gives it because he's following God in humility. Now, I'm a dork because I forgot my small copy of Mere Christianity. <laughs> so I have, <laughs> I have this. It's a C.S. Lewis signature collection. Highly recommend it's got several books in here, but it's got mere Christianity, mere Christianity in here. And in chapter uh, 8 of the second book, uh, he refers to the great sin called pride. 
And I'm just going to read some excerpts in here because I think they're just, they just hit me. And I want, I want them to, to do that. Uh, there's one vice, it says this, there is one vice in which no man in the world is ever free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else and which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of. It goes on and it says this, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. And hopefully you saw that in King Nebuchadnezzar's statement, look at what I have done and this greatness that I've created. And in his mind, you know he was thinking, I'm just better than everybody. But it says this about pride. It says, this raises a terrible question. How is it that people who are quite obviously eaten up with pride can say they believe in God and appear themselves very religious? I am afraid it means they are worshiping an imaginary God. They theoretically admit to themselves to be nothing in the presence of this phantom God, but they are really all the time imagining how he approves of them and thinks them far better than ordinary people. That is, they pay a penny worth of imaginary humility to him and get out of it a pound's worth of pride towards their fellow man. And I'll end with this. Whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good above all, that we are better than someone else, I think we may sure, we may be sure that we are being acted on, not by God, but the devil. The real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or you see yourself as a small, dirty object. And it is better to forget about yourself altogether. How do we live a God-centered life? We die to ourselves. And that is my prayer for Lakeland Vineyard. That is my prayer for everybody in the room. That is my prayer for everybody who is watching online, that we would consider the cost, that we would say, yes, I do want to actually die to myself. I can't do this on my own anymore. Holy Spirit, would you come and have your way in my life? And so I propose to you today is that as we leave this place as the church, that we would go and do the things that God is calling us to do. I just want to encourage you with this. No one is telling you to stop sharing the hope of Jesus Christ. Things are way different right now. Sunday morning doesn't look the same. We have fewer people in the room, but let's, not, let's understand 
that feelings are the first things that will lie to us. I tell you what, God will show up in a room where there's a cappella singing and where a person doesn't speak very well. God will show up in the room. Here's what we need to do. Wherever we are, we want to hunger after what God is doing, what God is saying, what God is speaking. We want to pause when we look at people. We want to pause before we respond to them, and we want to respond to them in love. We want to realize that each person that we interact with, whether we agree with them or not, is an image bearer of God. And I believe this, that if, if we shifted and we said, like earlier was said, hey, we get to partner with God. God is calling us. I mean, read Matthew 28. He's, he's commissioned us. And then we die to ourselves and we interact with people and we approach them as the image bearers of God that they are, we will begin to see a revolution, not just in our country, not just in our city, not just in our neighborhood, we will begin, it will begin in our own lives. I just want to encourage you with this this morning. If you're waiting for the church to do all of this stuff, the church is you and it's waiting for you. And that's who we are called to be. Disciples of Jesus. Not Christians by just name, but followers of Christ and disciples of him. So let's go. As we leave this room today, as you turn off your live stream today, we don't turn off church. We just are started being the church. And so as you go out today, I just encourage you, walk in the peace of God. Greet people with the peace of God. Tell people the stories that God is doing in your life. I don't have much to offer. Hey, that's okay. God is all that you have to offer, and he is more than enough. And he will meet you where you are. But I've messed up. Welcome to the club. There's forgiveness in Jesus. I don't, I'm not eloquent with words. Jesus is. His spirit will meet people where you are. He lives in you. He desires to use you right where you are. Don't make me snap now. Let's pray. Can we pray? Is that all right? Chuck, come here. You messed things up today. Here, come up here so people can see you online. You got to kind of, I'm going to sit you down because your head will be cut off if you don't. Pray for us. Just sit here. Pray us out. Father, as we come to you here and now, I think about the things that we have, we've heard, but also what we prayed at the opening of this message. 
that you would search our hearts and see if there be any wicked thing in me. Not in those that we see, but in me. And that you would point out to us those things that we have bec- that have become so important to us that offend you. Father, that we would not be found striving against you. And that we would see the truth, Lord, that it's only in dying that we can be born again. It's only in dying to the things that we hold so important that we can see the beauty of the resurrected Christ because that's who we want to see. Father, as we go from this place, help us to remember that dead people cannot be offended. And that as we look in the eyes of those that we see, there's not one person on the face of this earth who you do not love, who Jesus, you did not die for. And that as we see that image of you in them, we can begin to grasp the deep, deep love that you have for people and that you had for each and every one of us. That's what we want to be. That's what we want to see. Help us to die to ourselves and see you as we go from this place. In your name, we do pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.